Good evening, everybody. I pray everybody is blessed and well and favored of God on this evening. I pray God's strength and favor upon you and your loved ones and your family. And I pray that wherever I'm reaching you tonight, wherever you're under the sound of my voice, that you're encouraged, that you know that God is with you, that you know that God loves you, that he cares about you, and that he has you in mind. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this another opportunity, Lord, for our lives and our destinies to be confronted by your word. Help us, Lord, during these destiny moments to correct where we, what we want and what we desire and allow it to align with your word and your will. In Christ's name we pray, amen, and God bless each and every one of you. Tonight we want to talk about our topic for today is called Unconditional Surrender. Unconditional Surrender. The thought that brought brought this to me is, as it's been our theme for the year 2021, is forward. We desire to go forward. We desire to be in line with what God wants from us. We desire to have progress, to move towards the goal that God has set for us. Remember our scripture, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching, pressing, straining forward to that which is before. That's our desire and our purpose for this year, to be in line with what God wants from us. As part of that, we've said to go forward is not just going back, going forward, but it's also leaving something behind. It means that we're stepping into something new, but that also mean, requires us to step out of something we might call it old, but we're stepping out of something to step into what God has for us. In line with that, God gave me a few scriptures that I wanted to share with you tonight. The first of which, it comes from Luke. Luke 10, 25-29. And it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put to him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. A lawyer is posing this question to our Savior. And Jesus responds to him. He said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? When talking about an unconditional surrender, this particular text reminded me that many times in the Bible, those who were talking to Jesus or those who were confronting him or often those who were testing him, attempted to negotiate the terms of their salvation. And attempted to determine the, the determine the parameters even here of who they should love and who is my neighbor. It says there in the text the lawyer was attempting to justify himself, and while doing so, he was trying to limit who is his neighbor, who is he responsible for, who should he love, who is who should he devote devote his resources to. When we seek Christ, one of the things we need to first do is put down anything that comes from our old life, we have to let those things go. The word says, all things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. There are things that we have to relinquish, we have to let go, we 
we have to surrender. The title of our text really is inspired for me from history because during the Civil War, uh, General Grant, his first initials were U.S. And those initials that he had, people nicknamed him Unconditional Surrender Grant. That meant that he was not going to listen to the terms of the enemy. But instead, if they were to surrender, they had to surrender unconditionally without setting any terms. Similar to that, if we are to fully be in line with what God desires from us, we cannot set terms with God. We cannot attempt to negotiate how we are going to serve God. Unfortunately, that's what we do. We often try to set the terms with God. We try to tell God how we're going to serve him when we're going to serve him, under what circumstances we will serve him. And as a result of, a, of that, we fall short of what God desires from us. We do not reach our fullest potential. There are things that we leave on the table. There are blessings that we do not have simply because we're trying to negotiate with God how we're going to live, how we're going to do it, how we're going to achieve what he has set before us. What I'm telling you tonight is that if you are going to be in line with God, you cannot attempt to set the terms with God. God has to be in complete control. You cannot attempt to let God know how you're going to serve him. But many times we do, let's just be honest. We try and show, say, God, well, if you do this, God, I'll do that. God, if you meet me here, then I'll go. God, if you allow this to happen, then I will do this. Lord, when I reach a certain place in my life, then I will do that. Lord, when I have a certain job or a certain amount of money, then I will accomplish that. Then I will do that. We are trying to set terms with God and we are not unconditionally surrendering ourselves to him. As a result of that, we fall short and do not have what, we what God desires for us to have. How many of us right now, we're short of what God wants from us because we try to negotiate with him? Think about that. How many of us right now are in a place where we don't have exactly what God desires for us to have because we've attempted to negotiate with him? And in attempting to negotiate with him, we've fallen short of the mark. We've fallen short of the objective. We have tried to set the finish line for ourselves. And God is not pleased. God is not happy. And therefore, we find ourselves in lack, not receiving everything that God has for us. I saw that it's not just us, though. There are so many examples in the Bible where you see that not only here with the lawyer who attempted to negotiate with Jesus, who was, who was, who was his neighbor, but we see it in other examples in the Bible. We see it with Peter. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. There, Peter is setting the terms. He said, Lord, I'm willing to forgive him seven times. But then Jesus responds and says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. He's saying seven is not enough. He's saying, Peter, I reject the terms of your surrender. I reject the terms that you're trying to set with me. You're trying to tell me how you're going to be saved, how you're going to live, how often you are willing to forgive. But he's saying, we're not going to live by your system. We cannot live by your measurement. It is not up to you. Peter. 
You have to live according to the standard of God. You have to learn, you have to learn to live to God's standard. It's only by that, living to God's standard, that you receive everything that God has for you. Remember what Jesus, the young man said to Jesus, you have to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and with all your mind. You have to give it all to him. I, I, I've, I've said it before and I, I've spoken the sermon and it's what I've said is God wants it all. He wants it all. Every bit of you. That's what God desires. That's what he requires of you. He wants it all. Because when, when God does not a lot, God does not take you in parts. You can't give God a part of yourself. God wants all of you. That's what it says here in verse 27. So you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. God wants all of that. Not some of it, not part of it, but God wants it all. And only when you're willing to give God that, when you're willing to give God your all, then he will take you. He will only consider those terms when you have decided to give him everything, you can't give him less than your own. Anything less is unacceptable. God won't take that. The Bible says, submit your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's the very least that God will take. He wants every part of you, every bit of you. So no, Peter, you cannot forgive your neighbor seven times and think it's okay. Jesus said 70 times seven. In other words, I require much more than that. You have to continue to forgive. In fact, later the word says, forgive your neighbor as you desire to be forgiven. That means however many times you desire to be forgiven of God. That's how often you ought to be willing to forgive your neighbor. We see here also in the word in 2 Corinthians 12. It says so, speaking of Paul, this is Paul speaking. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And then Paul says, but, and then, but he said, he asked the Lord to remove it. And the Lord said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. He said, but the Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was saying he was trying to negotiate with God. He said, Lord, I need you to remove this thorn. Why did Paul want God to remove the thorn? I want you to think about that for a moment. Why did Paul want God to remove the thorn? It's not just that it was hurting. It's not just that it was painful. Paul had endured many pains. Paul had, Paul had been stoned. Paul had been stoned many times. He had received uh, 30, uh, 40 lashes minus one. He talked about that. He'd gone through many trials and tribulations as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why did he want God to remove this thorn? Many people say it was not a literal thorn. It was a thorn of something that can persisted to bother him. It may have been a weight or sin that he struggled with. It may have been an addiction or something that he had trouble with that he had to continuously 
see God for forgiveness. It was just something that a reminder of him to him, as he said himself, that he was not infallible, that he was not perfect. It kept him from being conceited. It kept him from thinking that he was like Christ, that he had, had, had arrived at his destination. Later, we know Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended that this one thing I do. I recognize that I'm not perfect. And the thorn in the flesh helped him to recognize that. So why did Paul want God to remove the thorn? The simple answer was this. He was like, God, if I don't have this thorn, I can do it by myself. If I don't have this thorn, I can do it myself. I can operate it easier. In fact, Lord, I will need you less if you remove this thorn. I will need you less if you remove this thorn. I won't have to keep seeking you about it. I won't have to keep praying about it. I won't have to keep consecrating about it. I won't have to be, keep going down on my knees in prayer about it. Lord, if you remove this thorn, that's less I need of you. And that's why God said to him, and that's exactly why I will not remove it. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My power or my strength is made perfect in your weakness, in your recognition, not just your physical weakness, not just your spiritual weakness, but in your mental awareness that, Lord, I simply cannot do this without you. I simply cannot do this without you. I don't know what your thorn is. I know that I have thorns, but those thorns are just a reminder by God. Larry, you're not perfect. You're not as good as you think you are. You do not have this by yourself. You need my assistance. You need my help. And this is just a reminder to let you know that you need me. And the best version of you is when you're weak. The most powerful version of you is when you're weak. The reason that you're more powerful in that moment is because that's when you allow me to operate. That's when you give up. Songwriter says that's when you let go and let God. At the moment where you recognize I cannot handle it by myself, that I cannot accomplish it by works. That's why that's, the word says, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. God is simply sending me a reminder that I can't do it by myself. Yes, Paul, if you didn't have the thorn, you'd probably feel more confident, probably overconfident, maybe even a little cocky, thinking that you could do this and accomplish this on your own. But God said, that's why I have the thorn as a reminder to you that you cannot. And you know what? You're even stronger when you recognize you cannot. Because when you sit down, God stands up. When you sit down, that's when God stands up. The final thing I wanted to share with you, God gave me as it relates to Peter, it's Peter again. And it's two versions of Peter that we see here in the same text. Two versions of Peter within a few verses of each other. They're in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 15 through 18. Jesus inquires of the disciples. He said, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father 
who is in heaven. So he said, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's one version of Peter that we see there in Matthew 16. That's not the only version of Peter that we see in Matthew 16. Because Peter had to continue to open his mouth. That's why it reminds me of Paul. Sometimes God gives us a thorn in the flesh to remind us that we don't have it figured out. We don't know it all. We may think we know it all, but we have to rely upon God. So I left you there in Matthew 16, 18, 19. Skip on down a little bit. Matthew 16. Now we're in verse 21. And it says, And Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Then Jesus had to speak to Peter. He had to rebuke him and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. You are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. There are a few verses apart. God, Jesus is saying to Peter that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then a few verses later, he's saying, get thee behind me, Satan. He's saying you're, a lot, you're attending to the things of men and not to the things of God. Reminder, again, we do not have it all figured out. The other thing with Peter here, we're talking about surrendering and conditions. Peter wanted to accept Jesus as Lord, but he was not ready to watch him sacrifice his life to become our Savior. I want you to get that. Peter was saying, Lord, I, I recognize you as Lord, but I'm not ready. I'm not willing to sit there and see you offer your life for the purpose of becoming our Savior. Again, we cannot accept Christ on our own terms. We must unconditionally surrender ourselves to him, our own will and our own way, so that Christ can be Lord and Savior of our lives. It reminds me of Paul. Paul, after suffering through this, he began to understand and appreciate that it's not about me. It's not about what I accomplish. It's not about me getting rid of the thorn, but it's about me accepting what God is trying to do in my life. Paul later says, he said, yes, I've suffered many things. He said, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. Paul is saying here, the thorn, I'm, I'm past the thorn. I, I understand the thorn, why it was there. I begin to appreciate that I'm more powerful and strong when I'm weak as God stands up in me. And he's saying, but all of the things that I've accomplished, everything that I've obtained, everything that I know, he said, I count it all but dung. I count it all but rubbish for the sake of the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not important. In other words, I'm ready to surrender everything. I'm ready to give it all up. I'm not holding on to anything. I'm not setting any terms with God. I'm no longer saying, God, I'll do this if. How many of you said that? You can put a raised hand emoji. I'll, I'll raise my hand too. 
God, I'll do this if. I'll do this, Lord, but. I'll do this, Lord, when. We have all of these terms that we want to give God instead of unconditionally surrendering ourselves to Him. We have to surrender our will, our plans, our thoughts, everything that is like us. We have to surrender our flesh. Paul said, for which cause I die daily. I have to give up the thoughts and desires of my flesh. I have to turn them over to God and recognize that it is more important that I be in line with God's will than for me to figure out my own will and my own desires. It's not important. I don't, I don't need God to help me with my will. And that's something that we need to understand. God is not there to help us to achieve our own will. But no, we are here to help achieve God's will for our lives. That's your purpose. Your purpose is not to for God to be your genie in the bottle, for you to call on him when you want something, when you want him to help you make a way, when you have your own plans, your own goals, and your own desires. That's not God's purpose. You shouldn't, God shouldn't be here for you, but you're here for God. God created us in his image. We have a purpose that has to align with God's purpose that has to align with his will. Lord, I'm not praying to you so that you will help me with my will. But no, Lord, I'm praying that you help me surrender to your will. That the things that I do and that the things that I say are in line with your will. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, what I say, what I do, how I react with people, how I work, how I speak to people, Lord, even my attitude, how I operate on the road when people cut me off and I want to act a certain way, how I react when people brush pop by me in the mall in the store and don't say I'm sorry, don't apologize, how I react when people throw shade at me on Facebook without calling my name or on social media to try to shaded me silently. How do I react to that? How do I react when people talk about my children? How do I react how, when people say things to me at work? How do I act? Am I living for myself? Am I hoping that God will make my will okay? Or am I living for him? And in the way that I react and respond to people, am I showing my light? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. But the, you don't get any credit. They said, but glorify your father, which are in heaven. Why? Because God is the source of that light. God is the energy of that light. God is the focus of that light. God is the purpose of that light. Why? Because the more we shine the light in ourselves, the more flaws you see. I'll tell you in this streaming, <laughs> certainly having to stream and sit before a camera has made me very conscious and aware of all of my flaws. And because the brighter the light shines on me, the more imperfections you see, the more imperfections I see. Sometimes I look back on recordings and I'm like, why did I say it like that? Or I was stuttering or 
I was being repetitive. I said the same phrase over and over and I find so many flaws. The more the light shines on us, the more flaws we find. But the more we shine the light on God, the more beautiful he is, the more excellent he is, the further his reach becomes. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, don't lift up yourselves. Don't get in the way of my glory. He said, but if I be lifted up, I'll draw other men unto me. Let's make sure that we get out of the light, that we don't try to steal any of the glory, that we surrender ourselves fully to God. You know, one of the best ways to surrender, to demonstrate that you can surrender, is through consecration. It's through consecration. It's through giving things up to show God that he's first. If I have to give food up to show God he's first, I'll do it. If I have to give up social media to show God he's first, I'll do it. If I have to give up my television time, my streaming time, my binge watching time to show God he's first, I'll do it. And anything that I give up, I'm going to have the same attitude as Paul. Anything that I've obtained, anything that I thought was important, anything that I thought was worthy for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, I consider it all dung. I consider it all rubbish. I consider it all nothing that I may gain Christ, that I might be closer to him, that I might know him a little bit better, that I might walk with him a little closer. That's the conditions. Those are God's terms. Unconditional surrender. We must love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. We must give it all to him. Throw your terms aside. Give yourself fully to God. And when you do so, there are so many blessings that lay in store for you. But don't miss out on God's blessings because you're trying to set your own terms. Give your terms up. Give them over to God. And say to the Lord, Lord, the songwriter said, my hands, my ears, my mouth, everything that is in me. He said, and one songwriter said, I may not be much, but whatever it is that I am, Lord, I give it to you. Why don't you say that to God tonight? Maybe you've said it before, but maybe it's time for you to say it again. Lord, I may not be much. I might not have much. I might not know much. Lord, I might not be, others may not consider me special, but Lord, whatever you've created me to be, I turn that over to you. I give it over to your will. I submit unconditionally to your will and your way. And I give myself fully to God. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for these few moments that we've had together where our hearts and our spirits and our minds were open to receive you to receive your word, to be admonished by your word. Lord, we thank you for being mindful of us, for considering us, for giving us another opportunity, for giving us another day, another chance, for enduing us with great new mercies and more grace. And Lord, we're going to use this opportunity to become better stewards for you, become better servants for you, to give ourselves unconditionally to you, to let go of anything that we've been holding on to, which has literally been holding us back, and give every part of ourselves to you. 
that we might be pleasing in your sight, that we might fall in line with your will, and that your word may guide us to the place that you desire for us to go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I pray that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard on today. I pray God's favor upon you and your family and your friends. I want you to do this too. While you're surrendering and giving yourself over to God, remember to pray for someone else. Someone else needs your prayer. Someone else needs your life. Be sure to make sure that you pray for someone else. And I pray that as you can surrender yourself to God, that you will find yourself in the midst of all the blessings that he has laid out for you. Be blessed is my prayer for you. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Giveify. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.